Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, the founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Tigers in 20. It has been a long long time we are way overdue and honestly like we owe we owe everybody an apology so let me get through the intro real quick i'm your host and lead writer christian fowler and joining me is go tigers 247 digital content creator kenny stubblefield no brooks hansen tonight i think we i think we might be doing a little switch up on the podcast this year maybe me and kenny handling football stuff brooks handling vip podcast and i'm sure brooks will roll in more on basketball stuff, but we figured, you know, we'd mix it up. And and Kenny, like I said, we're long overdue for a podcast, and I know you and I are both excited uh, to be back and talking Memphis football. Well, I mean, I just like hearing your sultry tones over in my ears right now. So yes, I'm excited. Um, it has been way too long, and like you said, we do owe everybody an apology. And just uh, man, we're glad to be back, and we've got a lot to talk about, especially. We're right in the midst of football season. So, um, Christian, I have been waiting to hear your um, thoughts about the season so far. Only two games in, but there's a lot to unpack. Um, a lot has happened off season and at the beginning of the year. So, man, I'm excited. I hope everybody else that's tuning in right now is excited as well. Yeah, so let's get right into it. You said you were excited to hear my thoughts on it. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it because you and Brooks are – not or were not football guys at all um you and I have been working together for a little over three years now which is kind of ridiculous at this point to think about um but I would like to think that you and Brooks have both really started to love the game of football and uh especially you being down on the sidelines and you were actually in Jonesboro this week for the game against Arkansas State I was not there um, but you were there down there on the sidelines. So just give me a little bit of a synopsis of what it was like to be down there uh, in a thrilling game. I mean, maybe maybe it wasn't exactly what Memphis fans wanted to see, a 55-50 to 50 win. But it, nonetheless, an exciting game, a ton of offensive fireworks. What was it like being down on the sidelines for that game? There's always something, you know, having grown up playing sports, there's always something about being on the road, right, where you – when you're in the the friendly confines of home, whether it be your home gym or the Liberty Bowl or wherever you are, there's a it's a different kind of feel and it's nice. Um, I'll, everybody likes being at home, but there's something about walking into an opposing team's uh, stadium and having a kind of seeing how they've done some of the things they've done to maybe um, not allow the opposing fan base to engage as much as they'd like to um and and you just feel like you're walking into like almost enemy territory which is silly because I'm media but but I am but I cover the University of Memphis I'm from Memphis so it's hard for me to kind of turn that off a little bit like I'm I'm ride or die Memphis Tiger but um it's just an interesting atmosphere to to walk into a place and be the away team um a couple of things that Arkansas State did. I'll say this first and foremost. I told you this earlier on the phone. 
Arkansas State's got some pretty impressive facilities and um, very nice, very pretty. It was very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Um, just a really, really nice place. You know, it's obviously not it, – it's Sunbelt Conference-size stadium. Um, wouldn't fit for the Tigers, but in terms of just the way it looks, it's definitely a different kind of vibe than the Liberty Bowl being just this monstrous, you know, cavernous place. Um, but what's funny, Christian, is that they put the band, the Memphis band, on the very top left corner of the st- of the of the stands, to where you could, it it felt. You could hear them very well, but you couldn't see them very well. They were kind of stuck off in the corner, which is sad because the Memphis band, they get pretty hyped during the games, and it's fun to, to, to watch them and listen to them. Um, the, the Tiger fans were kind of stuck right below them. Um, we took up probably the, – the Tiger fans probably took up a third of that side of the stadium. What's interesting, though, is that they put the student, the student section for Arkansas State was literally behind the Tiger bench which I thought was extremely funny. And obviously, I I mean, I went up to a few of the SIDs who Memphis Tiger fans will know pretty well, but, um, and and it was like, is this on purpose? (laughs) And I was like, it was, it was crazy before the game because it was just that area behind the Tigers bench was super hectic. There were so many people, whether it be the band kind of filing in the band was right behind the, the Tiger bench and the fan base was right behind the Tiger. The The student section was right behind the Tiger bench. So it was a on purpose, hilariously, hilariously funny thing to see kind of the gamesmanship before the game. So just in terms of my walking into the stadium, that was my initial reaction was, oh, they're playing. They're playing with us over here. This is funny. Yeah, and speaking of playing with opposing fan bases, Memphis made an announcement. We're obviously recording this on Tuesday night. Um, Memphis made an announcement on Tuesday that they will be prohibiting all outside noisemakers. So, in essence, saying don't bring your cowbells into Liberty Bowl. We'll see how it's that goes. It's got Mississippi over. State fans hot on Twitter oh, right now. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's. It, I think it's done to do that. I think it's done to yeah. you know kind kind of make some people angry and agitate some people. So uh, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm sure we'll still hear some cowbells. I'm sure some people will sneak them in in their boots or whatever boots or I don't know. Can you even bring like does it have to be does it have to be clear bags? Like does everything have to be clear bags? I don't know. I'm sure people will sneak them in regardless. It's, overalls it's have happen. like overalls have like fifty pockets, so they'll be able to sneak some stuff in. I'm sure. Hey, I'm from Mississippi too. So. Oh my bad, my bad. <laughs> and I don't own overalls. <laughs> my bad. I'm 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 out with your generalizations of Mississippians. <laughs> um. Anyway, anyway, before we do get uh a little bit deeper into that Mississippi, Mississippi State game, because I think that needs to be. Uh, the majority of the topic that we cover in this episode because it's a huge game. We know how how much it means when SEC schools and Power Five schools uh, come to Memphis and and what that does for the for the school for the fan base. So we'll definitely dive into that heavily. But there are a couple things I want to hit on um, from last Saturday's game uh, and just you know kind of to catch up for the season so far since we haven't recorded uh, a podcast yet uh, this this football season. So. First things first, I want to talk about Seth Hennigan, you know, obviously the the leader of the team now. And I want to give my honest thoughts here and, uh, you know, kind of my thought process thus far. I, I'm going to be honest when, when, you, when, you know, when you find out Seth is starting that first game and, you know, you see Grant uh, on the field uh, against Nickel State in, in shorts and a t-shirt, it's kind of like, okay, we're going to throw a true freshman out there and see what, see what happens. And unfortunately in that not unfortunately, fortunately, in that first game, it's against Nickel State, uh, a, a game that you could win with pretty much anybody at quarterback. You probably could have ran the ball the whole game and won uh, by a pretty wide margin. So I, I wasn't really worried about it then. I was just kind of okay. Let's let's see what they do. And I mean, you can you can look at my Twitter and the way that I talked about that game. I didn't like the way they handled it. I don't think they should have tried to prohibit him so much. I think they should have, you know, let him get after it a little bit more playing against Nickel State. Like, come on, like, why do, why are we going to limit him in a game where you could win with your eyes closed? Um, so I wish they would have opened it up a little bit more in that game. 
But they let him sling it on Saturday against Arkansas State. I think they knew they were going to have to score a lot of points, and they just they let him go for it. And for a freaking true freshman, and I'll be like I said, I'm going to be candid here. Uh, when I talked to Kenny about it uh, before the Nickel State game, I said, "Man, if you if you throw a true freshman out there these first few games, like, how does he handle it? Like, does he absolutely just drop the ball?" I I didn't know. I mean, it's the first quarterback in in school history to ever start as a true freshman. So there were a lot of unknowns and a lot of question marks there. And Seth Hennigan has answered the call through two games, 682 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, Just pretty gaudy stats for a true freshman in two games, regardless of who you're playing. 417 yards and five touchdowns uh, against Arkansas State in this past Saturday's win. And it's not even that. Take the stats away. Let's take the stats away. It doesn't matter. They've, They've played terrible defenses. When you talk about just poise and confidence and accuracy and touch and leadership, this dude has it all. Like it, it it's crazy to see. And and we're two games in, so we you know, we do have to tamper this a little bit. It can't be all out like, you know, Seth Hennigan's a first team all AAC quarterback. Like we're not gonna go there, but it's so encouraging to see a true freshman quarterback just have that level. And I will say that's where my confidence was in him in the beginning was with the leadership and with the poise and everything because he's a coach's son, very, very experienced and illustrious high school career, um, just had a great career out in Texas. So, uh, And, and that's, that's kind of what I told you and we talked about. I was like, he's going to have success as a leader. He's going to be able to have command of the offense. Like He's going to know the offense like the back of his hand because he's a coach's son. He's going to be very well prepared. But how does it all unfold? And Kenny, I don't know about you, but I've been super impressed through t- two games with the true freshman quarterback. Yeah, I mean, uh, exactly what you what you're saying. I mean, the stats are the stats are gaudy. You know, one of the saving graces for Seth is that he's got a young man named Calvin Austin the third that is lining up on the outside. Um, he's got a uh, a senior tight end and and Sean Dykes. He's got obviously a running back that is doing great things in Brandon Thomas, but um. It's 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 really what you said. The most impressive part for me has less been less about the the gaudy stats because of uh, of Nichols and because of Arkansas State. They were going to give up points. It's the poise and it's the way he's leading the team. Um, you're seeing something um, a little bit different this year in the way that the offensive play is playing, and that's their their kind of run and gun you know, to use a basketball term, but a run and gun, you know, uh, quick to the ball, um, get it and go kind of a deal. And, and, and Seth is handling it very well. And, um, I've been really impressed with his poise. I've been really impressed with the way that he, um, navigates the pocket as the pocket is starting to collapse on him. Um, he's not panicking whatsoever, which is, I mean, we, we talked about this a few, a few weeks ago, um, you know, Seth didn't have the benefit of a spring camp, summer camp, fall camp. He literally won a state championship and then came in to Memphis the very next day during summer camp. And so he hasn't had the extended period of time that a lot of these guys that are contributing as freshmen um, have, like a guy like Greg Rubin, you know. Did Greg come in early or did he come in? He late. did. He did. So, so Greg came in early. You're see, you're seeing Greg out there starting because Greg's been in the program for many more months than Seth has. So the fact that he is, um, the fact that he has come in and has led the team, um, is has been pretty impressive. His poise and his his ability to to navigate the pocket, his ability to lead the team, has been incredibly impressive to me. Yeah, and it's not like he's leading this super veteran-laden team. Now, there are some some veteran—our offense, the defense is, is pretty much all upperclassmen. Um, but the offense, like when you think about his skill position guys, um, Brandon Thomas in his you know, redshirt freshman season, first season as a starter. Uh, Javon Ivory played Second last year. year. Yep. Yeah, played last year, but it, it hasn't been you know a two-, three-year starter kind of guy. Uh, Calvin Austin really— had his breakout last year. He played a little bit at the end of 2019 over the last several games, but mainly had his breakout last year. So it's not like he's played a ton of ton of football. Uh, really, when you look at it, it's like 
Dylan Porham and Isaac Ellis are the two guys that have played the most on this offense, which helps. Having a veteran-laden offensive line that has played extremely well through two games, especially when compared to what they did last year, um, has been really good so far, but that unit will be tested uh, much more than they have through the first two games this week against Mississippi State. So I'm going to go rapid-fire through a couple things, and then we will get to that coverage uh, of the Mississippi State game because I have a lot of things I want to talk about there. So Kenny, Brandon, Thomas, we've hit on him a little bit, haven't gone in-depth. Wow. Like, just wow, did not expect him to come out and do the things that he did. We saw him in the spring game, and we talked about it after the spring game and just said, man, he, you know, he was the best running back. He looked like the best running back. But I can't say I, I, I saw him busting out for 340 and three touchdowns in two games, averaging 10 yards a carry. I don't care what defense, is it, defense it's, it's been against thus far. Like, it doesn't matter that it's been against crappy defenses. Um, to average 10 yards a carry through through two games and have 270-plus rushing tr- touchdowns in the same game is uh is is pretty hard to beat. So Brandon Thomas has been incredible so far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you privately you talked about Brandon over the summer and in the into the fall, into fall camp, that you were hearing really good things about him. Obviously, we didn't get to see him like we normally would throughout the fall camp, throughout, you know, those kinds of things. So we didn't get to see him a whole lot. But you were hearing good things about him from the beginning, um, saying that he's he's just impressing people and and um, hey don't don't be surprised if if he gets the start over two basically three running backs that have come in or that have been playing for a couple of years now with the Tigers in Rodriguez Clark and Asa Martin and um, Marquavius Weaver. Um, Brand has come in and solidified himself as the top running back on this team and. I think I told you this earlier today. He doesn't have the shiftiness and the explosive moves that um, Kenny Gainwell had, um, but man, he is an extremely effective running back. And the fact that he's a redshirt freshman—I mean, we are kind of getting a little bit of flashbacks from Kenny Gainwell season, right? Like, just incredible numbers. Yeah, yeah, as far as the production, yeah, I agree. Uh, completely different players, as you mentioned. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Not not the same kind of player at all, but production-wise, yeah, it's another redshirt freshman running back going off. And Rodriguez-Clark is somebody who I really didn't hear a lot about during the, sp- uh, during the summer and the fall camp, but I'll, I'll give him his due as well. Like, he's looked good in the past two games coming in and relieving Brandon Thomas. He brings a little bit more of just that hard nose, like lunch pail. I'm right. just gonna go run over three guys mentality. Brandon Thomas will do that too because he does have a lot of power. But Rodriguez is like he doesn't care. He will run into a brick wall type right. of guy. Marquavius um, is the same way. Marquavius Mar- has yeah, done the Mar- same thing. Marquavius is the same way. I mean, he's built like a freaking Mack truck. He's built like a fullback, honestly. So uh, I I like what they've got at running back as long as the offensive line continues to block like that. And last thing before we get to the Mississippi State coverage, um, to me, such a massive disappointment so far has been the defense. Um, Against Nickel State, you allow 17 points, which doesn't sound terrible to allow 17 points in a game, but against a team that you probably should have shut out, it's not great. Um, You allowed them to score on the opening drive of the first half, the opening drive of the second half, and get a field goal uh, also in that game. So... It was like a little bit of a grace period there. It was like, okay, maybe, you know, that was the first game. Like, maybe we'll see something different against Arkansas State. And they obviously come out and allow 50 points and uh, and really put the game in jeopardy. Uh, they, I mean, it, it, it could have gone either way there at the end because the defense just could not stop Arkansas State in that game. And now it's like, okay, here we go again. It's just going to be shootout after shootout after shootout. And, uh, man, for – Especially for you know, for me, I've piped up this defense probably more than anybody throughout the off season. Just because when you look on paper, they have all the talent necessary to be a, a top level defense in this conference, and they just are not putting it together right now. And that's not to say that things can't turn around, because um, they can. But there have not been many encouraging signs for this defense. Uh, in years past, when they've allowed a ton of yards, it's been like, okay, but in the big moments, they force turnovers. Or in the big moments, they uh, get in the backfield and they make sacks and they make big plays that change the game and get the, uh, the ball back for the offense, even though they allowed you know 30-plus points in that game. And we just haven't really seen those big game-changing plays so far through two games. And with, uh, in my opinion, an underrated Mississippi State team coming into town, 
uh, on Saturday, the defense is going to have to make plays for you to win that game. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the um, Tigers offense has a has a role? Because they look the, – the defense looked extremely gassed by the end of the game. They were on the field for a lot of a lot of minutes. Um, Arkansas State put together extended drives. One of the trends that we've seen over the last uh, probably six years with the Tigers is they have an explosive offense that doesn't really do sustained drives very much. They kind of, you know, big play, big play, and then boom, to the house kind of a deal. And that's what was happening in the Arkansas State game. Um, do you think that that plays a role? And what has been – what? So that's my first question to you. My second question about it, uh, about the defense, is what position group have you been most disappointed in in the defense this year? Yeah, I mean, could it play a role, especially early in the season? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Arkansas State started off hot in that game. So, I mean, there's really no excuse for that. Um, you can't really say it was because Memphis's offense was scoring too quickly. Now, towards the end of the game, when they really started to let it slip and almost let the game go away, uh, maybe you could chalk that up to fatigue. But um, I just don't really, I don't really like that as a factor because, like you said, it's been happening for so long now. Like Memphis's defensive coordinators know that the offense is going to score fast and the defense is going to have to play plays. So. You're going to have to get creative as a defensive coordinator, and we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen a lot of creativity. We haven't seen a lot of uh, blitzes or stunts or anything anything really out of the ordinary. It's all been pretty straight up in base defense. And in college football and in football in general nowadays, you can't just line up and play a base defense and expect to confuse an offense or confuse an offensive coordinator uh, from just lining up in base packages and, and kind of doing doing the ordinary stuff. Uh, and, and could they have just been guarding things for Mississippi State? Yeah, but um, when you're about to lose to Arkansas State, then you, you have to bring those things out, and we just didn't see a lot of that. So I'll be interested to see what they do against Will Rogers in this offense uh, on Saturday. But as far as the most disappointing position group, uh, to me it's it's just, it's the secondary as a whole um, because I thought that's where the improvement was going to be because the run defense was actually good last year, right? Like, people right. just think Memphis's defense was terrible overall last year. Uh, but the run defense was actually really good. And when you have Morris Joseph and O'Brien Goodson and JoJo Dorseyus and guys like that, the run defense was pretty stout for most of the season. Um, and the secondary with, you know, having Quindell Johnson coming back, with getting a guy like Julian Barnett, um, with having Jacoby Francis and Greg Rubin being a standout since spring ball, it really felt like the secondary was gaining momentum. And from everyone I had talked to, they felt really good about what they had. Um, I know they were excited about Landre in the spring, but obviously some stuff happened behind the scenes uh, that caused him to move on and go into the transfer portal. Uh, but still, it felt like they had enough back there um, to be able to, to slow some teams down and to just – it just hasn't come to fruition yet, and now you're going up against a team that has really, really freaking good receivers, Malik Heath, Jaden Wally, uh, guys that can really go make plays. Uh, they also have the transfer from Cal who's made who's made some plays over the first two games. So it's it's just like, okay, you know, if you if you couldn't if you couldn't hold up against Arkansas State, um, then how are you gonna stop these guys? Because for real, like Mississippi State has some dogs at receiver. Malik Heath just came back last week, and I think he scored a touchdown in the second or third quarter. Uh, Will Rogers isn't necessarily the most talented quarterback in the country as far as arm talent goes, but he's smart. He makes good decisions. Um, he's accurate. And if you just sit back and, and you know let him throw into those soft zones all day or you know throw over your head when you've got uh, DBs trailing, it's going to be a long game. So you got to mix things up. you got to get pressure. I know they have an offensive lineman that's projected to be a first-round pick. So getting creative with stunts, getting creative with you know bringing pressure off the edge, whether it's with a, a nickel or a corner or outside linebacker, whatever it may be, loops, stunts, I think you've got to do what you can do to get pressure. And every time uh, a Power 5 or SEC team uh plays against Memphis this is this is the story of what we talk about is like Memphis has to get pressure really I think it's whenever they play a good quarterback I feel like I say this every time they play a good quarterback and when they do these things when they get pressure when they 
get creative with their defense, then they typically uh, force turnovers and, and play good games. I specifically want to throw that back to the Ole Miss game two years ago because they played an incredible defensive game. Uh, they went all out, and they didn't they didn't say we're going to wait until week three or four to, to bring out the playbook. So we'll see what they do. Um, I'm I'm excited for the game. I I know you're excited for the game as well. It's like I said, it's always fun when when a Power Five team comes to Memphis. It it just brings that spark and that feel and that energy to the stadium. Um, so Kenny, with you know with this game coming up, like I said, obviously just a a really really big game, and it's one that's been being talked about for like two or three years. And I remember looking at the schedule like two or three years in advance, and being like, oh, Mississippi State's coming to town in a couple years, and here we are. Time flies. Um, but what do you, what are you most excited about? I guess seeing from Memphis in this game because they haven't really been tested yet with a good team. They were tested by Arkansas State last week in a close game, but not necessarily by a team even close to this caliber. So, what are you looking forward to uh, for Memphis to kind of step up and prove in this game against Mississippi State? Well, what I'm looking forward to, um, as a as a guy who loves the game of football but doesn't necessarily. Um, study it the way I do basketball on just a, a layman's perspective I'm looking most forward to how the fan base reacts um, I want to see how the fan base reacts I want to see how the city reacts because and I know we we could get in and talk and uh, talk about realignment conference realignment all that kind of stuff all we want that we could do a whole podcast just on that story alone um, but one of the things that I think that sets power five schools apart from non-power five schools is the level of buy-in from the fan base, the level of buy-in from um, week in and week out. And so, you know, obviously that, that first game against Nichols was a little bit different. You know, there was a, you know, with COVID protocols and, and, you know, things like that in place, um, you know, weather being what it was, there wasn't a whole bunch of people there. It turned out to be a better crowd than I thought. Um, yeah, I think it was like thirty thousand, which I honestly like. I was expecting like Mercer two years ago numbers, which I think they announced at thirty three, but it was really probably like twenty four, twenty five. Right. Um. So I, I think that was a pretty solid turnout for what I was expecting, honestly. Right. Well, I think that that that's going to be the 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 big thing for me is just to see how the fan base responds to having a Power Five SEC school come into the city and and to see what it's going to look like, like if if things play out the way that the Tiger fans want it to in terms of conference realignment, this could be a sign of things to come in terms of what's expected out of the fan base every single week when the Tigers are in town. So um, that to me is a big deal just to, just in terms of, you know, as a media person who covers the Tigers, um, uh, Tiger football team is, is seeing how the fan base reacts Um in terms of on the field, I'm going to leave the on the field stuff to you and I'll ask you questions about that. But just in terms of what I am, my initial thoughts, what I am most excited about and most kind of what kind of gives me a little bit of nerves in my stomach is how the fan base will respond. Yeah. And, and just from covering the team for as long as I have now, what, what typically tends to happen? And I'll give the fan base credit here when there's a, when there's a big game that, really calls for a good turnout the fans really do show out and they show out early and they have a ball and they're loud as crap like I've been to a lot of college football stadiums a lot of big time college football stadiums and when Memphis is playing in a big game like it's super loud in the Liberty Bowl like well the SMU game in 2019 uh, was the perfect example right the SMU game uh the UCF game last year um Memphis fans, they, like for as much flack as Memphis football fans tend to get, like they know when to show up for a big game and and support the team. So I, I give them credit there. I think they show out. Um, I think Mississippi State fans are going to show out as well. Like we're you know yeah. we're we're right on the border. Obviously, there's a lot of Mississippi State fans in the Memphis area, uh, or in Memphis and the surrounding area. So I think we'll see a lot of maroon. But if we have more maroon than blue, then there's a problem. <laughs> um, so hopefully that's not the case. Um, but as far as on the field, there is one thing that I'm looking forward to the most, and this is I think this is the number one matchup. I think this has the 
potential to decide the game, and a lot of people think I'm probably going to go Memphis' secondary here, but I'm going with Memphis' offensive line is the biggest thing that I'm ready to see in this game because Mississippi State's run defense has been really, really stout through two games, and they were, I believe, underdogs last week against NC State, and they went in and rolled them, um, absolutely rolled them shut them down on the ground, and Memphis is a team with Ryan Silverfield as their head coach that wants to establish the run, and a lot of the passing game, um, it, it, it builds off of that run, that RPO, that just like quick little fake handoff, and it brings linebackers up, sucks linebackers in. A lot of Memphis's offense is designed around being able to run the football, and if they can't, then they're going to have a lot of trouble because then – you have a a front seven in Mississippi State that's really good that can pin their ears back and come after a true freshman quarterback, um, and that doesn't even, it doesn't matter if you're a true freshman quarterback or not. If a defense is able to just key in on you and bring six seven guys every time, then you're going to have trouble. So we will see on Saturday how improved Memphis's offensive line is from last year, because at the beginning of the year last year, also if you recall, I know Memphis had a really rough season running the ball. But at the beginning of the year, I think Rod Clark started the started the season off with two or three straight 100-yard games, and it was like all is well, you know, without Kenny Gainwell. And then, and then you know, we all had the realizations of, okay, like this isn't the same offensive line that Memphis had the year prior. Like Rod isn't the same kind of back that Kenny is. Like those, those realizations didn't set in until three, four weeks into the season. So we will see if these first two weeks were an aberration or if, Memphis's offensive line is for real and if Brandon Clark is for real I mean if Brandon Thomas is is for real and that's important for this team the the rest of this season moving forward is if this team can run the ball and if Brandon Thomas can continue to have success behind that offensive line and this is uh you know when you look at Memphis's schedule this is the probably the toughest front seven they'll play all year um so if they can just have some success they're they're obviously not going to have you know, two or three 70 plus yard rushing touchdowns, if I had to bet against Mississippi State. But if they can just have sustained success on on the ground in this game, that is going to go a long way into winning this game, uh, just 100%. And I think, you know, we, we talked about this earlier that Memphis usually doesn't sustain drives. I think Memphis is going to try to run the ball more uh, than they typically do and sustain drives and wear this defense down and keep Will Rogers and the offense off the field. And, and you can't say that that's a bad strategy. Now it might backfire and they might end up going up and then you have to just start throwing the ball like crazy, very similar to the UCF game uh, last year. It's basically exactly what happened. You tried to uh, run the clock and get the ball out of Dylan Gabriel's hand and instead they end up going up big and you have to start you know, going for chunk plays as well. So there's a lot. I mean, <laughs> you get me sitting here talking about football. I'll go through every, every scenario possible on how this can play out. Um, but that to me, that's the biggest matchup. Offensive line of Memphis versus Mississippi State's defensive line. Who's going to win that battle? Or will it? I mean, if it's a draw, then Memphis did Memphis did good if they can at least equalize that defensive line. What do you think about what have you seen so far in the offensive line? Does it give you? Um, this year, does it? I mean, I know you spoke highly of them a few minutes ago, but um, does it give you hope for going up against a power five defensive line front seven? Like, what's different about this offensive line compared to last year's offensive line? Well, I think I think offensive line is such a such a continuity position group of just having the same guys, uh, and with you know with three or four guys returning this year, that helps a lot. Um, and Ryan Silverfield and Jim Bridge are two guys that have a lot of pride when it comes to offensive lines, and they were not happy with the way that last year turned out. Um, so going and getting a guy like Austin Myers from TCU, who's who's been good so far, and going and getting a guy like Jakari Robinson uh, from Cincinnati, who's been good so far, and you've seen Jacob Like step up and Jonah Gamble step up. You know, they've got younger guys step, stepping up. They've got transfers stepping up. So they've got new guys in the fold that are making a difference and making an impact. So I think uh, continuity along with uh, some of the necessary additions that were made uh, have have really helped the offensive line so far. And like I mentioned, you know, a second ago, I think, I, I think coming to a draw with this defensive line is not a bad thing. 
Memphis's offensive line more than likely isn't going to go out and dominate and push around Mississippi State's defensive line for four quarters. It's probably just not going to happen. Um, but like I said, this is the best run defense they'll play this year, and if you can average three or four yards a carry and, and go for over 115, 120 yards as a team, then you did your job and you did a really good job as Memphis's offensive line and running backs. Now, Ryan Silverfield might, might not be super pleased with the 100, or like right at 100 rushing yards in a game, because uh, if he can have 300 rushing yards every game, he will. Um, but you have to have some kind of success on the ground to make them respect the run. If they don't respect the run, then it's it, it could be a long day. So what, what matchup on the, on the front line, the defensive line, and the offensive line should the Tigers be watching out for? Who who is it on the defensive line that they need to be watching out for, and who's going to match up with that guy? Yeah, I don't I don't really think it's a specific matchup in this game. I think I think Mississippi State has a lot of guys on that front seven that that can play, um, and that's when things get tricky because it's like you know they don't just have a super duper standout superstar guy that you have to watch out for this guy. You know they have six or seven really good guys uh, on that front seven that that are going to have to be blocked throughout that game. Um, and just as a defense as a whole, like when you look at Emmanuel, Emmanuel Forbes, uh, one of the corners, and Jalen Green, the uh, safety from tr- transfer safety from Texas, uh, like they just have good football players on this defense. Like the defense was built very well. Um, I know they got a couple guys out with injury. Uh, Jordan Davis was hurt a few weeks ago, uh, who was a uh, believe a four star defensive end coming out of high school. Could have been another guy that would have given you trouble on this defensive line who's out for the season. Uh, but they just they have depth. They have a lot of depth on, on defense at Mississippi State. It's like they always do. Uh, if you look at Mississippi State over the last several years, you know, they put really good guys, um, really good guys in into the NFL. So uh, it, it's, a t- it's a tough matchup. This isn't Ole Miss of a couple years ago. Um, you know, like we know that's a Power 5 SEC school, but they were one of the worst defensive teams in the country, and that's not Mississippi State. Like, they have a good defense. They will play hard. They will make plays in the backfield. You just have to counteract those plays and make big plays of your own. So I, I really don't think it's like a one-on-one matchup that's huge in this game uh, on on that on in that scenario, like for the offensive line and defensive line. If there's a one-on-one matchup that could decide this game, uh, for Memphis's offense versus Mississippi State's defense, it's probably Calvin Austin versus Emmanuel Forbes. So, what do you expect um, game plan wise from Coach Johns and Coach Silverfield in terms of the offense? What are you, what are you expecting to see a lot of from the Tigers to counteract that that aggressive front seven? I think I think what we see in these kind of games from Memphis is they try to run the ball, obviously, um, and they try to get the short passing game going early. Uh, some of those short slants and uh, screens and different things like that to keep the defense on their heels and to kind of back them up and and keep them from from blitzing and rushing as much. So I think that will probably be implemented early. And then I'm not going to be surprised by anything that they do in this game because Memphis' staff under Mike Norvell and under Ryan Silverfield both are known to be very aggressive in big games. Like when it's all on the line and when, you know, it's a big game that, that they really want to win, they're going to go balls to the wall as far as play calling and, and bringing out all the stops and just throwing the kitchen sink at a team. So I'm not going to be surprised from anything we see. Um, I think early it'll be, you know, a lot of runs, a lot of zone runs, um, a lot of screens, and then maybe a couple couple pretty early shots down the field to test what that secondary looks like. Because that secondary has given up some big plays over the past couple weeks. Uh, specifically against uh, La Tech and, and, you know, NC State had some opportunities that they didn't capitalize on. So the secondary, although they have some good players, they, you know, they haven't had an incredible season so far. So I'm not going to be surprised if they start off with that short passing game, trying to bring everybody up inside the box and then try to let one fly to to Calvin Austin because I I don't know if there's anybody in the country that can keep up with him one-on-one. He is an incredible football player, man. He is so fast. He's um, so fast. So fast. And it's so interesting because he shouldn't be able to get to be able to catch balls in traffic. He shouldn't be so good on slants across the middle. But if he catches that ball across the middle on a slant, it's almost impossible to catch him if he can get ahead of steam because he is so fast. Yeah, and, and you're relying on that speed this week, right? 
Uh, you know, I mentioned Emmanuel Forbes a couple times already. He's a longer, rangier corner who's not who's not super super fast. He's not one. You know, he's one. Of, when you think of those longer corners, typically they're not. Typically they're not the four three guys. Um, and he's one of those guys with length. And it's it'll be interesting to see if he can keep up with Calvin Austin because, um, the way that I you know the way that I see it is that you have all these top receivers in the country and. You know, everybody knows the names and they're who's talked about, but Calvin belongs in that conversation. And we're not talking about what somebody does in the NFL. Like, we don't know what Cal, we don't know what anybody's going to do in the NFL. We're talking about collegiate receivers. Who is, who are some of the top collegiate receivers? And Calvin Austin is right there among some of the best receivers in the country. Uh, I think right now he's second in touchdowns and fourth in yards nationally and second in yards per game at 145 yards per game or something like that. So he's in the top five of three major categories uh, in receiving yards through two games, albeit only two games. But he was one of the top receivers in the country last year when it comes to yardage and touchdowns and all those statistics. So um, I, I think as this season draws on, especially if he has a big game against you know an SEC school, that national audience will start to see him more and more and more um, and start to realize just how special of a player he is. Because it's like, you know, so much talk was about Anthony Miller and what he did. And, you know, it wasn't even as much for DeMonte Coxey. But what what Calvin Austin doing is right up there with Anthony Miller, right? Like DeMonte Coxey had really good seasons, but it wasn't it wasn't Anthony Miller level just absolutely captivating the country. Now Calvin Austin is is getting into that conversation and with a big performance against Mississippi State, obviously people will start to take even more notice of of just how good he is and what he can do as a receiver because at five I mean he's listed at five nine, but I promise you he's like five seven, hundred and sixty two pounds. What he's doing is insane. And and like you said, it's not just it's not just catching a screen and going like he's not afraid to go over the middle. He's not afraid to go up in traffic. Like he will do whatever it takes to come down with the ball and 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 make big plays for this team. And that's what he's done throughout his career. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I think what's going to be interesting also is to see the development of the relationship between Seth and um, Javon Ivory. Um, that Nichols game, it was pretty clear to me that Seth and Javon have a a connection. They they threw the ball to each other or Seth threw the ball to him quite a bit um, down the field um, on the sidelines, you know, things like that. He didn't do as much in the Arkansas state game because Calvin was just that dynamic. And so was Brandon Thomas, but um, Javon's going to have to have a big game um, to, to kind of keep the defense honest on Calvin and, um, and on Sean as well. Cause Sean had a big game as well down the middle of the field. So, it's going to be an interesting, interesting game, and I think that there's just so much up in the air, right? Like, we don't know. Like, we just don't know. Um, the fact that the Tigers have a starting freshman as their quarterback, if they come out and win this game, Christian, like, that is big time with a starting freshman yeah. quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean, if they, if they do come out and beat Mississippi State um, – then they just put the whole conference on notice because they were finish. They were picked to finish fifth this year, I think. Which and that was when Grant Gannell was playing. Th- right, that's when Grant Gannell was thought to be the starting quarterback. So, I would imagine most people, from a national perspective, see them towards the bottom of the conference right now. And this could be a statement game, but but like you said, there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that's up in the air about this team that's just unknown at this at this point in the season. So a lot of questions will be answered on Saturday night. We will know a lot more about Memphis on Sunday than we do today because they haven't – I know the Arkansas State game was close, but they haven't had a ton of high-level competition yet. I mean, Arkansas State played Central Arkansas in their first game. Arkansas State has a good offense, but they're not world beaters by any means. And I think, you know, realistic Memphis fans know that, and most Memphis football fans are pretty realistic. Um, so we don't know – we don't we really don't know much about this team. We know what they could be. We know that they have talent. Um, but if they come out and get drubbed by Mississippi State on Saturday, then we'll look back and say, man, those those first two games really didn't tell us anything. So it, it's just a lot up in the air. A lot of things we'll see. 
But Memphis is only a three-point underdog in this game, so they're really not being overlooked as of right now. So they do they are getting a little bit of respect, and uh, that's why they play the game. So we'll see. I know I'm super excited about it. I can't wait. Let me ask you a question foreshadowing here. If Tiger fans go home on Saturday night and they're celebrating a win against Mississippi State, who do you think will be the player of the game for the Tigers on offense and on defense? I know it's a hard question, but who do you think is going to be the person who's going to make the difference? It has to be your quarterback, right? I mean, when you, you, you hate to give the basic answer here, but it has to be your quarterback. Um, Seth Hennigan is going to have to have a big game if, if Memphis wants to win because the reality of it is Mississippi State is going to score points. I think I think everybody knows that Mississippi State is going to score, uh, especially with the way that all we can all we can do is judge off of what we've seen from the secondary so far, and judging off of that, Mississippi State is not going to have a ton of trouble scoring. So they're going to put up points, and if they're going to put up points, you got to put up points, and that falls on the shoulders of the quarterback. So if Memphis is going to win this game, offensively, Seth Hennigan has to do what he did against Arkansas State. Not what he did against Nichols because they didn't let him do anything against Nichols until it didn't really matter anymore. It was late in the game. He's going to have to do what he did this past Saturday and use his arm, use his you know football IQ and intelligence to go win a football game. Defensively, I, I really don't. I really don't know because it's like who has shown us on this defense that they are having like no one's had a great anything so far it just hasn't looked good all around so I mean if you if you have to pick anybody here it's got to be just I would say your pass rushers overall right like your defense your defensive line you're gonna have to look at the score you're gonna have to look at the box score and say man Memphis's defensive line played a heck of a game they had five or six tackles for loss three or four sacks like they're going to have to have negative plays in the backfield for Memphis to win this game so Morris Joseph, Ryan, Morris Silverfield, Joseph yeah. Ryan Silverfield said he should return this week. Or Dallas Ducksworth isn't isn't a big name, but he was one of your top sack guys last year. Uh, Cole Mashburn, who has made some plays, but you know hasn't been uh, a world beater by any means. Uh, if you're blitzing linebackers, Thomas Pickens has to get back there. Uh, Thomas Pickens is your best you know blitzing linebacker, so he's going to have to get back there and make plays. Um, who else on the defensive line? John Cartwright, John is, a Cartwright. Guy, yeah. is a guy that's going to play a lot and, and be in the game, and he has to make plays. Maurice White, who he's been super hyped up since the spring, and he just has looked – he's looked okay. He hasn't looked great uh, so far. John Tate, a guy that you know in 2018, 2019 was known for having big pass rushing plays from that defensive tackle spot in big games – is going to have to step up. So that defensive line, outside linebackers, the guys that can generate pressure are going to have to be, have a big game. There's going to have to be negative plays in this game uh, for Memphis to come away. So that's uh, – I don't know if that's a safe answer or <laughs> a cop-out answer, but, it's, I mean, it's the truth. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Morris Joseph does. You know, obviously I think – his injury wasn't severe enough to keep him out for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, obviously he um, probably set Arkansas State because do they need him? Turns out they did need him, number one. But um, I, I guarantee you Morris Joseph is the leader of that defense in terms of just his um, his him being so vocal Um and his, I guess, his maturity and his age um, within the program. But um, I, I have a feeling that Morris Joseph is going to come in incredibly inspired. Um, and the fact that he had, you know, a couple of weeks of, of rest will allow him to come in. And, and, and hopefully if the, the plays that are called, the schemes that are drawn up, will allow him to get into the backfield and, and, make some, and do some damage um, in the backfield against Mississippi State. So it'll be interesting. It's gonna be it's gonna be a crazy week, man. This weekend is this weekend is gonna be wild. I love there is nothing like big game football on Saturdays. There is no. nothing like it. I don't care what sport you watch, unless you're there and you see it and you and you feel it, there's nothing like it. And that's what this is. 
Yeah, and there there is uh, last thing, and then we're, I think this is the longest just straight up football podcast we've ever recorded. So <laughs> we're gonna wrap up pretty soon because now we're just talking at this point. Um, but when you do look at this game, I think there will be a lot of national intrigue because you know we I just spoke about Memphis and you know how unsure we are about them and what they could be this year. I think the same could be said for Mississippi State on the other side. They win a very, very close nail-biter game against Louisiana Tech in the first week, uh, a game that they very easily could have lost. Uh, And then they come back and they smoke NC State the next week. So it's like, okay, is this this the Jekyll and Hyde thing? Was it just a... Was it just a rough week one where they came out and they, you know, they let the game slip away and got it back in the end, or what is it? You know, what is this Mississippi State team? What are they going to be like? And anytime an SEC team plays, there's obviously uh, intrigue and national audience that's involved in that. So uh, there will be people that are wanting to see what this Mississippi State team is going to be this year, uh, and there will be people that are wanting to see what this Memphis team is going to be this year. So this is a game where. Um, I mean, you could see one team because neither one of these teams are picked to vi- pick to pick to finish very high in their conference. You know, this is one that could really catapult either one of these teams for the rest of the year to just have a big season and to build off of this game as momentum. And obviously, state fans are hoping that that's the Bulldogs, and Memphis fans are hoping that's the Tigers. And uh, it's cool because we get to sit back and watch and see what team executes the best and has the best coaching and and the ball bounces the right way for him. So that's, you know, that's what makes the game fun. Well, I'm excited, Christian. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good weekend. Yes, sir. Well, with that being said, uh, just head over to the site. Obviously football coverage is in full bloom. Uh, we're excited about it. So head over to go tigers, two, four, com. Check out everything we got going on over there. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, Kenny has been at the past two games, um, making videos, making highlight videos uh, from the game, and they've been really, really awesome. So go check those out if you haven't seen them yet. Uh, Kenny is a magician at what he does. Uh, we're very lucky to have him. So go check those out. Uh, we've got basketball coverage as well. As you, as you guys know, we don't just do football during football season, basketball as well. Um, Brooks has a VIP podcast coming out. Could already be out when this comes out. I'm not exactly sure. So uh, if it is already out, you can listen to the VIP uh, podcast and to this podcast so you can get all your podcast needs filled. So with that being said, Kenny, you got anything else? I'm good. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you downloaded your podcast. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis Athletic Program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are published daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for a VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. We'll see you back here next week. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.